Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm with my Agenda Media co-founder, Tala Lambert. Hello, Tala. Hey, Ange. How's it going? Good, good, good. On today's episode, we are talking about how to boost female disappointment, uh, (laughs) women and the Olympics and addressing burnout and a few other things, bits and pieces along the way. Thank you for listening. You're looking good, Tala. <laughs> Not frazzled at all. Poor Tala. Tala has a, a sick toddler, a sick toddler. I don't think you've slept much. <laughs> I have. I look so disheveled right now. I literally, I don't have words. And poor Ange is, is staring at my face. and She's <laughs> not a pretty sight. Um, but yes, my toddler got about two hours sleep last night, which subsequently meant that that's exactly what my partner and I got too. Well, it happens. I mean, it's lucky that you don't turn around and say, actually, I slept really well last night and I feel (laughs) fine. What are you talking about? I am feeling radiant. Um, (laughs) No, but look, it is nothing compared to your situation. How is life in lockdown with the boys? You don't need to say it. It's fine. It's fine. It's all under control. Homeschool is going well. Yep. Uh, I did like the story you just told me a couple of minutes ago. Well, I'll share that one as well. So I was just doing a recording earlier with um, Alison Hernandez, who's the managing director of uh, Randstad Rysmart, generously gave me 30, 45 minutes of her time for this podcast recording that we're doing. And uh, my five-year-old walked in with uh, (laughs) a, a recorder. I don't even. I didn't even know that we had a recorder, and he's found a recorder somewhere, and I can hear it kind of tooting up the stairs, and it slowly gets closer and closer. And I'm thinking, please, can my partner please intercept and stop him? Anyway, he came in for buying him a recorder, though. I never bought him a recorder. I actually think the recorder is from my childhood. It looks like a like a professional recorder. I have I didn't even know it was there. Who knew? We 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 have musical instruments. They're around. I try to encourage it. Not so much in the recorder. So it has been kind of quietly put back in the drawer. Hopefully, never to be seen again. Let's talk about wins for women this week. So my win comes in the form of Wally Funk, who not only has the coolest name in the history of the planet, um, but she's also become the oldest person to fly to space with Blue Origin, um, which is, of course, Jeff Bezos's uh, company. And it's 60 years after she first trained to become an astronaut. Um, so Wally made it up into space uh, on Tuesday and you know, as I said, it's been a 60-year journey. Um, she first trained when 1961 to 1963, but she missed out on on that program through NASA when she was mainly she was prohibited because she she was a woman. Um, and now she's finally made that that huge leap, and it's just such a monumental, um, you know, history-making effort. And she's such a legend. We haven't done a story about her flight this week, but we did write um, a piece in uh, a couple, a few weeks ago when it was first announced. And um, I do think that, yeah, she's just, she's just probably the coolest person I've ever heard of in my life. And I am very keen to do a deep dive on Wally Funk and also yeah. possibly call my daughter. Wally. Yeah, your your daughter. <laughs> my non-existent you got some new. 
<laughs> uh, that's the first I've heard of your daughter. So maybe. Uh, yes, but a great name. And I hope that you will be announcing some news very soon. And mm. I think, you know, daughter, son, whatever, you can call either Wally. I true. think that's a great name. It's, it's yeah. very true. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't care much for billionaires going into space. I think that there's, you know, a lot of issues going on on Earth right now that maybe they could get a bit more involved in addressing or for space exploration, of course. But, you know, this whole billionaire space race situation is interesting. We've spoken about it a few weeks I ago. Think you, I think you referred great to term. the big swinging dick move, which the ultimate, think, it is I the think ultimate. it's very appropriate, yeah. But <laughs> I think it's all worth it for, for Wally to get into space. Like, that woman should have been in space 60 years ago and she's made that flight. Finally, she was the top of her class at age 21 and she got overlooked on account of being a woman to be part of, to actually go into space. So here we are. Like, I think it's so awesome. Did you know that the youngest person was also on that flight as well? He was 18. Oh, that's so cool. But it's a bit of a different story. I think his his ticket was basically purchased by his uh, very wealthy uncle yeah. or some situation. So quite different. Molly um, <laughs> Funk, our win of the week. Congratulations. I'm so happy you got up there. I hope that she gets to go again very, very soon. Absolutely. What a hero. Um, what's your win? My win is, well, it comes following the vaccination ad that was released in New South Wales either the beginning of this week or last week. That was actually pretty horrific. Um, it wasn't, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you've seen it, it just, it was it was kind of, we had um, a piece and it sort of was kind of offensive, I would say, to healthcare professionals to suggest that a woman be kind of left in this situation. It didn't really reflect our healthcare system. It also um, depicted a young woman who was there, you know, struggling to breathe, looking very, it was just a horrible, horrible scene and it was, not nice on the account of the fact that a lot of young people in Australia have absolutely no access to the vaccination and haven't been able to access it or register for appointments or anything on account of their age. So a very different vaccination campaign has been uh, revealed this week from Victoria and it comes from the arts community, which, as we know, has suffered significantly during these rolling lockdowns over the past 18 months. And I would say it's also an industry that's been largely uh, let down by a lack of uh, support and incentives at the government level. And it's kind of probably at the bottom of the list when it comes to industries that will get to return to normal anytime soon, um, or at least, you know, full capacity of theatres and things like that. So this ad has come out. It's conceived by the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, which is uh, led by a woman, Sophie uh, Glace. And the ad campaigns, uh, the goal aims to address hesitancy and lift vaccine numbers nationally says that, you know, mass vaccination is essential for preventing further lockdowns. It was also written and directed by a woman, Emma Muir-Smith, and it's just so positive and uplifting and it's even a little bit funny and it goes in this kind of theme of being together, let's go for the performance of a lifetime, let's make it happen, let's get vaccinated for the sake of our community, for the sake of being able to return and enjoy these experiences and to be together again. It calls for the need for an ensemble for approaching vaccination. So, so smart and clever, my win for the week, a win for women, a win for everybody. Go and get vaccinated, please. <laughs> if you can, go and get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. <laughs> 
Check out um, this ad. You'll, you'll want to get vaccinated afterwards. Um, you'll probably be feeling very frustrating, frustrated if you have no opportunity to get vaccinated, but those opportunities will hopefully come soon. And I think right now is the time to be addressing any kind of hesitancy, as well as calling the government to account for the, the diabolical state of the uh, vaccine rollout, which as yeah, we saw. Yeah, and their inability to market that vaccination program effectively as well. <laughs> Let's just get it sorted. I feel like, like you know, just too much has happened and we just need to get on top of it. Everyone needs to do their bit. Yeah, exactly. And I think most people want to do their bit and the, the problem is that we haven't really had the opportunity. So that yep. is hopefully coming and um, it's unfortunate that it's kind of had to take these latest outbreaks to get to this point and to get this um you know, so many questions finally being asked about where these vaccines actually are. I wrote a piece this week actually calling for the Prime Minister to uh, get up and, you know, take some inspiration for what he did with the Operation Sovereign Borders from when he was Immigration Minister a few years ago, where he did this regular weekly press conference with like pretty maps and the flags everywhere and all this kind of thing. And I was like, can we do this for the vaccine? Maybe do it every day. Get up and show us exactly where they are on the map so that we can see if they're on planes or boats. I don't know how they get here, but like, like, wouldn't it be nice to know where the supply and when it's actually coming in and how many people are getting vaccinated and what the target is? And just to be reminded over and over again that this is, it takes an ensemble effort as, you know, the Melbourne, the Victorian arts community has reminded us. I think that would be dependent on the Prime Minister actually knowing anything about the vaccine rollout or where things were or how he was managing it, which I suspect he doesn't have a strong clue on. Um, He doesn't. But, like, turn it around, Scott Morrison. You can. Just start. Start tomorrow. I was going to go to another win, but this the next win is actually part of our next story because we want to talk about the Olympics and women at the Olympics and the record number of women there and the Olympics are starting and I feel like people aren't that enthusiastic about it because, well, for one, it's not actually the 2020 Olympics anymore, it's the 2021. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of uh, athletes are coming up uh, receiving positive COVID tests and having to go home, which I think is just the most devastating thing to hear about. But the Olympics are starting and, you know, millions of us are in lockdown and we get to watch the Olympics all day. I think this is really awesome. And there's some great women uh, participating, obviously, in Australia, all over the world. Do you have some highlights, Tyler? We have a story on this on Women's Agenda today. There's some really interesting people to watch. Yeah. So this morning I heard about a 46-year-old gymnast and it just made me think, how many amazing stories are going to be kind of circulating around the Olympics? All of these women that are just kind of making history. And we we haven't, the spotlight has not been on these inspiring stories and people um, this year round. And that is really sad. I feel like the narrative around the Olympics has been a really, it's been for the most part, a pretty horrible one. You know, I do think that Given it is happening, um, we should really have a look at at some of the the awesome stories that are coming out of it. Madeline Hislop's written a piece for us this week. There are um, a few that I'll just quickly mention. So there's Hend Zaza from Syria, who is just 12 years old, um, and she is going to be the youngest athlete competing in Tokyo this year. She's a table tennis superstar, um, and she started at age five. Um, many consider her to be a prodigy. 
there is and the swimming team Australia's swimming team this year looks awesome um yes Simon Biles from the US um always just such a just legend to watch um she is a complete freak of nature um and so I think you're 46 year old as well I'm, I hope I get her name yeah. right Oksana um Oksana Shuzovitin from Uzbekistan <laughs> oh, 46 and I mean, she's kind of nowhere near the age of Wally Funk, obviously, but I love like there's obviously similarities in their stories of um, being, I th- I'm not sure if um, Oksana is the the oldest person to compete in the Olympics, but I know that this is her eighth Olympics. She has won medals before. She says it's her final games. She has a 22-year-old son. Like mm. she has a son who is 10 years older than uh, the 12-year-old from Syria who's going to be <laughs> representing in table tennis. That yeah. is amazing. Gymnast, which is like gymnast, the I know. Most physical sport. I just yeah. am so blown away by that story. When I heard it this morning, I was like, you've got to be kidding. How? How? Yeah. Like, that is unbelievable. I cannot wait to watch her. And gymnastics is always my favorite thing to watch anyway. She competed for the Soviet Union in the 1980s. And we know the stories of what those gymnasts went through. And I can't imagine it would have been a particularly uh, a great experience for her. We, we've heard those stories, and here she is. She's had her son had leukemia. For at one point, she um, competed in for Germany while her son was undergoing treatment, and ah, oh, she it's her final games because she wants to spend time with her son. It's just amazing. Yeah, I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it also because I can start like training now, and I might be able to get to like Brisbane twenty thirty two. Maybe? I can train. I don't know what sport yet. Like maybe I feel like I'm gonna win like a donut eating competition. <laughs> I don't think I can train for any sport. So <laughs> speaking of Brisbane 2032, we did want to make a special uh, mention to John Coates. Uh, what happened, John Coates? What a dream boat! He was uh, at a press conference with. Uh, Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk in Tokyo and this exchange between them. Actually, well, it wasn't an exchange between them. He was answering on behalf of her to, you know, a packed press conference that was then aired across the world. Um, And it was just so, like, it was so cringeworthy. He basically chastised her for her decision not to be at the Tokyo Olympics cere- um, opening ceremony tonight. She's she said on multiple occasions that she she didn't feel comfortable going given the state of the pandemic and that she would watch from her her hotel room. Um, but he he said to her, he's like, "You will be going," um, and and she looked just incredibly uncomfortable throughout the whole exchange. Her, her face was down and she kind of tried to make light of it but he was just really belligerent and awful and then his response after it was just equally as bad he basically refused to acknowledge that there was anything wrong with the way that he had um treated a a premier um and and then you know Anastasia Palaszczuk was also questioned about it and and she um again tried to make light of it too I feel like she was probably in a pretty tricky situation and and didn't have much choice given his influence. But yeah, it was just really it was really discouraging to see. And you know, this is just so common 
for women of women in power, but all women. Um, but I think just given Anastasia Palaszczuk's, you know, position, she is a premier. Would a would a male premier have been treated in the same way um, or spoken to like this? I just I find it really hard to believe. Um, yeah. What was I, your- I, well, I mean, it was the same. It's the most cringeworthy. Like it was so hard to watch that that exchange, and I just. I wanted to see Anastasia Palaszczuk's like face behind her mask, but at the same time, mm. I was I was happy for her that she had that mask on because you just you know <laughs> yeah. you don't know what to do. It's like oh, this is just, and she is she was in a, in a difficult situation there. For me, I look at that and I think uh, that happens like in a press conference for everyone to see with cameras there filming it um, to a woman in a significant position of power. It just makes you think about where else it's happening. <laughs> like it's happening everywhere. So yeah. yeah. So <laughs> if anyone hasn't seen that, you know, do yourself a disservice and go and find it on YouTube now. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about boosting female disappointment. <laughs> so basically a centerpiece of the coalition government's response to women's economic empowerment is this initiative called the Boosting Female Founders initiative. So it was part of the 2018 Women's Economic Security Statement and then it was later expanded and in total it provides 52.2 million in funding over a number of different rounds. You can apply for up to I think it's around $400,000. So there's I think it's there's you know there, there's a there's a window in that of funding that you can apply for. 52 million doesn't really go that far. It'll support some businesses, which is great. And we have seen some great businesses access this funding and it's excellent for them and we're really happy and supportive of them. But obviously this is a Band-Aid on a huge, huge wound in the sense that internationally female founders receive like 3% of investment. So we have a long way to go. In Australia, the numbers have actually been a little bit better over the past year, particularly over the past six months. But when you look at the businesses that are receiving that big investment funding, it tends to be those unicorn businesses that are that are co-founded by women, um, like um, you know Canva, which has Melanie Perkins at the top, and they had a huge, huge funding round earlier this year. So like I said, we've seen some great businesses receive it. We've also seen some great businesses completely overlooked and obviously of, and often cancelled out uh, due to some really strange and stringent criteria that just sort of says that they don't count and they can't qualify. Tala and I, we run a female, we are female founders. We run a business that 100% appears to qualify to Anyone apply for this. Confused. <laughs> We applied. Uh, we put in the expression of interest, the expression of interest round, and there was a number of little follow-up emails that we needed to put in an extra form here and there and confirm our address and that sort of thing. We did all that. On Monday morning, I received an email. It came through about 3 a.m., read it, forwarded it to you, Tala. I was like, yeah, sweet, cool. We're through to the next round. And you kind of messaged back, nice, let's set up a time, we'll talk and we'll plan the next part of the application because that's basically what that means. Got down to our publishing and our homeschooling duties, various other things, and a few hours later, many hours later, it was about lunchtime, 12 p.m., we received an an email saying, well, actually that was an accident, you never were supposed to receive that email. You have not been successful. (laughs) And it came from a person there. I've since gone back and said, who is this person? What's her job title? I, I can't find any details of her anywhere else. That's another 
issue. She could exist for all I know. It was pretty disappointing. It was pretty crushing. And um, we wrote a story about it and I heard from other people who received the same email. I put it out there on social media and people started replying and sharing that they had the same experience. Lots of people. 1,800 women received this incorrect notification. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that their hopes and dreams were crushed on Monday morning because people receive that, business owners who are probably in lockdown, they're homeschooling, they might be asking some very real questions about whether they can continue on this path. They receive that email. It puts a bit of a pep in your step. You tell your teams, your family, you tell people good news and we're through to the next round and no, done, you're no, out. You. And it's it's not it's like it's just such a you're out of this and there's no there's nothing to do from here, that's it. The worst part of it was the correspondence or lack thereof after it. So the email that came in was so incredibly insufficient. It didn't really acknowledge the mistake. It said the decision is now final, even though let me add that Many of the women that have been told that their businesses did not qualify, like, you know, got the second email saying that they weren't actually in in the mix, have subsequently gone onto the portal and it's still showing up as though their application is successful. So there are still giant issues at play. No one's rectified it. No one has bothered trying to call these businesses or, you know, send proper correspondence to explain what happened. It's just been the worst shit show. And it just begs the question, you know, you've got, this is coming out of Christian Porter's office. He's likely got a number of staff. uh, There's big bandwidth there and they just cannot get their shit together to sort things out and be empathetic um, and make sure that, you know, people are looked after after this. Because as you said, women-owned businesses at the moment are in such a, you know, they're in a really tight spot. They're under immense pressure. Um, people have been losing a lot of money and and there is so much uncertainty around what is going on right now. So having this glimmer of hope that you could potentially be, you know, being awarded some, some funding um, is a huge boost for a, a lot of people. And then to just have that taken away without any real explanation or any real apology is just not okay. And I hope that it catches a bit of wind because a lot of media have been reporting on it, but I don't think, like so far I haven't heard any kind of comment from the minister's office on the bungle, and it is an immense bungle. If you're if you're sending this out to 1,800 people, that is not just like a little glitch. That is a big problem. story that there are so many women um, who are in the same boat um, and who just feel deeply kind of disappointed and deflated right now. But they're also angry. I'm sure that they've got a fire in their belly to kind of see this through and see what happens. um, Well, they certainly do. And one thing that I find a little bit upsetting is that I see that women, and it's fine, but being quoted anonymously because they don't want to reveal who they are and or like making comments on social media saying I didn't want to say anything but this happened to me as well I didn't want to say anything because I was worried it might affect me later on and I just it's so heartbreaking to think that like that's that you know people can't speak up about this because and it it could I don't know it could be true who knows like I don't I don't yeah I mean that's that's the thing so business that calls the government to account on a daily basis (laughs) I think you and I had the same the same thought. You don't think Christian Porter's office will sign up on a grant for women's agenda? 
It's my bestie. <laughs> Maybe he just saw the name of the business and was like, no, 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 not for me. <laughs> but there's spreadsheets and like, we'll see. <laughs> All right, uh, going too far. All right, we wanted to talk about burnout, but this is really important to talk about right now because we've done multiple lots of research around burnout over the past year. And one thing from last year was we found that people in Victoria were reporting higher rates of burnout than women elsewhere. So I think that's important and important to think because obviously Victoria had a much longer lockdown than anywhere else in Australia. Um, but we actually recently ran a survey of 1,500 women just prior to the latest round of lockdowns asking about their ambitions over the next 24 months and we haven't released the report yet. That is coming very soon. So this is a bit of an exclusive. I shouldn't be talking about the results yet but uh, I did want to highlight this one result. After we ask women about their ambitions for the next 24 months. We then ask about what, if anything, may get in the way, what might hinder them. And the second top response behind confidence in my abilities, which comes up, has come up the three times that we've run this survey, the second response was burnout. So 39% of women said burnout may hinder their ability to try and pursue these ambitions or achieve these ambitions over the next 24 months. And I just thought... That really stood out to me and the fact that it was also kind of being reported before the current situation where we are now, I think it's really concerning to see that and to consider how much so many of these women have been through over the past couple of years and to consider the long-term impact of what it means to be worried about your job, to be worried about your financial security, to be dealing with remote learning and the added responsibilities that come with with caring and domestic duties at home and the big broader impact of that where that takes us in the future and then also now because I feel right now where a lot of us feel a little bit more hopeless about the situation so yeah my, my five-year-old is coming to visit yeah he's coming he, back so oh he wants to, yeah <laughs> Hello. Oh, he's discovered the new microphone okay Tyler, what do you think about burnout while I just put my mic on mute and listen to some of your suggestions and ideas? Because we do have a few ideas. We've we've regularly covered this and um, we've got plenty of tips. We ran a webinar on this uh, late last year, which was one of our most highly subscribed webinar series that we've done. Um, So clearly people are interested in it and people are looking to to learn more. And I think people want to learn more about how to avoid this that goes beyond the idea of, you know, go and uh, go and get a massage or something. I mean, first of all, we can't go and get those massages. And second, that that you know, makes <laughs> you feel good for a moment, but that doesn't isn't a sustainable thing. But what do you what do you think? Are we kind of in for like a burnout pandemic? Mm. I mean, Certainly a lot of our readers have been identifying, you know, feeling like that and feeling like they are just in this kind of state of despair and being overwhelmed um, with what's going on. And it's not surprising given how much is on everyone's plates right now. Um, I do feel like women, you know, they experience burnout at such a high rate, but I also think that we are programmed to keep going and going and going and going even through that, which is like awfully detrimental for our health um I do know you know I've experienced burnout once in my life before it was just such an awful time I felt really disillusioned I felt 
um, exhausted. I was having chronic insomnia. I just didn't feel like I was being a particularly good parent or a particularly good, um, you know, colleague or a partner. Uh, and it was just because I'd let too much kind of build up. And I think we need to try our best to be mindful of that, um, to look at what's going on, to see where we can delegate things out and to, you know, alleviate some of that that pressure on us and and those stresses in our life. Um, and and to look at the things that we can do to be kind to ourselves, whether that's, you know, sometimes it is the small things, but it's about doing them mindfully and meaningfully and and integrating them into our lives properly um, and making sure that we we do do that. So whether that's going for a run or a walk or, or just even getting a cup of coffee and, and just making time to do something for ourselves um, and to know that we we don't just have to, to carry everyone else's burden all the time. Um, but, you know, it's a really difficult period. I think the reality is we are going to see the aftermath of this for, for quite some time and we don't quite know what the scale of of it is going to be. Um, but I hope it's something that, that the government is also mindful of um, in how they support Australians moving forward and, and particularly women who we do know carry a lot of the mental load in families. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The government um, employers, that's what I would say. I um I actually put a post about this on LinkedIn this morning, not about burnout, but just the idea of I called it floating. This this idea of being in lockdown and you kind of float over the surface of everything in terms of you know we're trying to we've got three little kids, so we're trying to manage the remote learning with them. We're trying obviously trying to run the business, and I was like, it just sort of feels like you know floating over the top, never diving deep into anything, and it feels like you're constantly doing stuff but not actually achieving anything. And I guess my sense was you know I. I'm lucky that I have some flexibility that I can do the deeper work, you know, at times when I might otherwise be sleeping. Um, you know, obviously it's not great. It's exhausting, but can still make it work in other times. But when I think about people who work for employers, particularly, and we, we've heard some kind of horror stories of late as well about employers just offering no uh, slack on this and, and no really little support or acknowledgement to parents about what they need to, about their own responsibility to children. And I firmly believe that, employers do have a responsibility to children at this point because it can't just be up to the parents to, to manage this and the remote learning when everyone needs to be doing their bit to protect the community at the moment. So that call out just to employers just to acknowledge this and to do whatever you can. Actually maybe have a meeting, bring people together, ask parents what can you do to make this period easier for them? Is it you know limiting the meetings? Is it putting time limits on meetings? Is it enabling people to walk on the phone? I know it's so much easier for us if we can walk on the phone because when we go and walks with our kids and stuff, we can be on the phone. That's a massive win. It's one less video call that we need to do. Um, can you do what Organon did and tell parents to just take three hours out of their day to support their, their remote learning activities? Whatever it is, I do think that employers have a responsibility here and, and what they do now matters. It matters in terms of keeping their best staff. It matters in terms of demonstrating that they are actually a great employer and they are willing to do the right thing by their people and it matters in the sense of doing the right thing by the community in the pandemic yeah yep this is still a pretty unprecedented period and we need to be mindful of that i think we do well i think that's it from us thank you 
so much, Tyler. Thanks, Anne. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. A reminder that you can catch up on all the issues and the stories that we discussed. Uh, You'll find them somewhere on our website, including a new profile on Wally Funk that Tyler will look into (laughs) shortly um, because she has a great story and we want everyone to hear about it. It's really inspiring. We can't think of a better time to share that right now. We did talk about mental health and burnout and we do appreciate and know that lockdown is hard. And so obviously just want to share some helplines that, you know, if you or someone that you know needs assistance, some ideas of what to contact, contact Kids Helpline 1-800-551-800. You can contact Lifeline 13 11 14. You can contact Beyond Blue on 1300 224 636. And of course, you can contact 1800 Respect. Look after each other. Please be kind. Thank you for listening.